VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is The Ruck, the rugby podcast from The Times and The Sunday Times. With the Lions Tour now confirmed for July and August 2021, we're set for a solid 12 months of rugby. Are you a fan? Eddie Jones certainly isn't. But what will be the consequences of a year of non-stop action? There are also calls to suspend Fiji from the global game. But will World Rugby listen? Or more importantly, will they do anything to act? And what impact will having less replacements on the bench have on the sport of rugby? I'm Lawrence Delalio, and joining me today are our regular ruckers, Stephen Jones and Alex Lowe. Gentlemen, good morning to you. Um, morning, Lawrence. No, uh, no Owen slot this week. He's obviously been working exceptionally hard <laughs> and has decided to uh, maybe take up a bit of uh, indoor summer skiing or something um, just to improve his technique. I think he's followed up his own advice from last week's pod when he tried to tell the desk that this was the off-season and we should all calm down a bit. So he's taken a week off. Fair enough. Listen, uh, gents, get, get straight into the meat of the action. Uh, you know, things uh, seem to be uh, quietening down before the Big Bang. Of course, talking about Operation Restart. The one thing that really caught my eye was the Lions Tour announcements. The, the tour will take place in its traditional summer spot, thank goodness, after calls to move it to the autumn were firmly resisted. The Premiership season also resumes, of course, on the 14th of August and is scheduled to end on the 24th of October. There'll be an international window in October and November, which looks like it'll be filled, certainly for England, with six international test matches. And the new domestic season is likely to start in November as well. The third Lions test against South Africa will be played on the 7th of August 2021. Now, that's a lot to take in, gents, but let's start with the Lions, Jonesy. Was summer rugby ever going to be abandoned for the Lions tour and, uh, and a move to the autumn, or has common sense prevailed here? Well, the common sense has prevailed, but also, Lawrence, I think that had you given uh, the, the global or the British and Irish rugby community a vote, they would have voted for the Lions to be given priority to be in their normal slot and of course, then you've, we've got the, uh, the great rush of excitement. People will now start booking. Players will focus on the Lions Tour. But there's two problems there. First of all, is anyone going to be physically able to go on a Lions Tour because of all the games you just mentioned? Secondly, in all this stuff about restarting the season, have they allocated a couple of weeks rest for the Lions players? If they haven't, 
we're in exactly the same situation or even worse than most Lions tours. So it is exciting and very worrying at the same time. Alex, I mean, I mean, obviously, as, you know, as a three times tourist myself, I, I was delighted with the announcement of the Lions tour. I, w- I was intending on going, obviously not in any official capacity, but uh, I just think it's one of the great things you have to do as a as a rugby supporter. Everyone's trying to cram in this rugby, as as, uh, as Jonesy says, between now and next year, we've got basically back-to-back games in the Premiership. You know, if you're an international player, you're going to be playing all the way through the autumn. So your game time is going to have to be managed. We're effectively looking at maybe one week off before next season starts again. Are the Lions, in very much in terms of what they've got as an announcement, they've got their fixtures, but are they the, are they the losers out of this? Because they're going to get handed a squad of players Warren Gatland, as they have in the past, that have already been um, pushed to the limit in terms of their workload and their schedules. Yeah, Lawrence, we've spoken before on the pod about the Lions and how when the current global season was agreed in San Francisco, there was nobody in the room representing the Lions. We in the media have fought for the Lions and they've had certain uh, executives fighting hard for themselves. John Spencer spoke very passionately in New Zealand. The moment they got home... No one picked up the, um, is that a phrase? Picked up the cudgels? Is that a phrase? No one grabbed hold of the situation and forced any change. Now, we're obviously in in unusual circumstances and the Lions and the Springboks were prepared to move the tour to the autumn if the global season demanded it. But but they're they're not far enough down the line with those negotiations for, for that to have happened this time around. I suspect this will be the last of the summer Lions because changes will, will happen. And again, they are the losers. And, and in a lot of ways, worse than ever, as, as Josie was just saying, there is no plan from the Premiership to afford them any extra time before they go. But that third test will complete a 52-week season for the top players, which is ridiculous. No, no matter how much rest the RPA try and build into a season, any player will tell you rest mid-season is not proper rest at all. And so the Lions are the big losers, sadly. Um, Alex, can I, can I take up the cudgels there, as you put it? First of all, there's an item of good news in that about six Saracens may be the only players not yeah. completely shattered. The other thing is, moving it to the winter, our winter, the whole point of a Lions tour, one of the remaining traditions, is that 35,000 people go because it's the summer and they can have a holiday. No one wants to take a holiday in the middle of our winter or will be able to. So if you move the Lions tour, you lose yet another of the great traditions. Soon there'll be none left. I completely agree. And one of the big issues which we, we haven't got an answer for, and perhaps one of the great contradictions in, in this conversation about the global season, is that the club game do not want to lose that summer international window and move it to the autumn. That's one of their big arguments. They want to retain the summer international window. And on exactly the same argument you just put forward, the Lions, who are made up of the unions, would probably argue the same. Because I don't think you'll get 35,000 people flying to New Zealand or, or Australia or South Africa in the autumn. I'm not sure you'll find too many players wanting to play a test match in in Brisbane or Durban at that time of year because it'll be hot and sticky and humid and difficult. And, and yet that's one of the big issues we don't, that hasn't yet been resolved. If, if the international calendar moves, so you have an October, November window, I don't see how the Lions has a future at the moment because it's not been explained. If October, November is the international window and World Rugby, or sorry, Six Nations and Sanzar want to create this annual global tournament, if once every four years the Lions tour is going on at the same time, 
then you, you're asking England, Wales, Scotland and Ireland to host test matches that compete with the Lions. It just doesn't add up to me. And it's one of the big issues that we keep asking about and, and, and no one seems to have an answer for. There's a lot of talk about midweek games in the Premiership taking place to, uh, to try and facilitate the end of this season. Surely the powers that be can, can bang their heads together. And, and as I'm aware, there's been no fixture list published yet for, for the start of next season. But you'd like to think with the Lions tour at the end of it, there's a possibility of, of uh, organising the odd midweek fixture next season in the Premiership to facilitate the rest periods necessary for the Lions tour. And, and whether that's a trade-off, whether it's a, an opportunity to uh, share something financially, I think it's wrong for anyone to give Warren Gatland a group of players that, that quite simply are, are not ready or, or are not in the right shape to try and take on the world champions. Because all that will happen is that Warren Gatland will, will effectively put all his test players in cotton wool and wait and, and, and rest them so that they're in, in good shape. And that kind of takes away from the, from the true spirit of what a Lions tour is about. You know, we all know that it's about everyone being a number one, everyone being on a level playing field right from the start of the tour. We'd love to see that in South Africa as well. And I just hope that the, the powers that be are able to get together and say, look, we want to have a good season next year. We want to have European Champions Cup. We want to have a, a vibrant Gallagher premiership. But we also need to protect the players and we need to give Warren Gatland and his coaching staff a fighting chance of taking on what is going to be a very, very rampant and very formidable South African team, particularly at home. You're right. If, if Unless the changes are made, you're dead right. Warren will have to say, I'm going to keep my test team aside. But th- then you lose yet another plank of the of Alliance Tour in which everyone should have a chance of making the test side. So, there must be something that the Lions can get their teeth into in terms of a proper preparation. Because mm-hmm. if there's not, if there's not, and the things we've said in this conversation already this morning, you've got to think this could be the last one, unless someone sees sense. Alex, I just wanted to push you on the, I don't know if you saw it, but the, the Lions themselves announced that there's going to try and undertake a, a unique model of, of combining the uh, the South African sponsorship properties together with the Lions so that they've got a, effectively got a, a pool of sponsors rather than going their separate ways. You know, we, we've had in the past the Lions flown out by Virgin or British Airways and, and New Zealand and South Africa sponsored by, by a rival airline. So, <laughs> I mean, that, that is quite good news, isn't it? That, that they're trying to look at ways to uh, to make it as commercially the most successful tournament that they've ever had. So, yeah, it, it is. Just as a slight follow-up to, to Jonesy's comment first, there is no TV deal for the Lions beyond this South Africa tour. If there was, you'd be a bit more confident that they'll have to find a way of making it work. The fact there isn't just leaves them ever more vulnerable to the changing global season. On the deal that they've done, I, it is innovative and, and it's smart. I had a coffee with Ben Calverley, their managing director, soon after he arrived in the job. And I wasn't the only one. I think a lot of media did. And we all impressed upon him there, the importance of the tour and what the fans make of it. And, and the fact that he's, the Lions are in a unique position where they have such a following win from the media that, you know, we, because we reflect what the fans think and, and they love it. Anyway, in that conversation, he mentioned this thing about pooling sort of the commercial element of the tour because it benefits both sides. The example he used was, the 2017 tour of New Zealand was sponsored by DHL, but it was a New Zealand rugby sponsorship. So it had no impact on the market up here, didn't benefit the Lions. And in fact, if if any Lions went were made available to, to a DHL sponsor, then it then cost even more money to, to hire them. So I think what we could find, they've spoken about it for a while, but 
I think they're going to do a sort of Netflix-style documentary series, but with cameras in both camps, which would be new. You could well have the shirts for both teams, that the tour sponsorship having an impact in both markets. You know, and, and the sense that both South Africa and the Lions are in are in the tour for the same reasons together, rather than having competing elements off the field. Obviously, they're, they're massively competitive on it, but off it to make it a commercial success, then then they're looking to to work together, which which makes sense to me. Lawrence, can I just make a very quick point there? I don't mind being the only person to hold an opinion in the, a certain opinion in the whole world, but I've never watched a fly on the wall documentary, not even the McGeekin and Telfer one on the Lions, and I am not going to watch the fly on the wall documentary about the next Lions tour because I prefer to keep the mystique of what happens behind closed doors. So I will never watch it, and I will always retain the Lions mystique as a result. Well, listen, I, I totally understand that, Jonesy, but evidently the younger generation that are watching Netflix and, uh, and Amazon Prime are absolutely obsessed and fascinated with behind-the-scenes documentaries. We've only got to see the success of The Last Dance with Michael Jordan. Admittedly, a long time ago, he retired, but even so, having been involved in Living with the Lions, which was probably the, the kind of pioneer of those documentaries, the last amateur first professional Lions tour, I mean, we as a group of players didn't even know that they were recording half the time, which probably made it quite good value. But the reality is that, uh, I mean, if they did decide to do a behind-the-scenes documentary, you know, there's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser. I'm a little bit more optimistic than perhaps both of you about the Lions' future. And the reason I am is because there's a certain Jason Leonard at the helm of the Lions. He's, of course, the chairman for the 2021 tour. Now, I know his position has not been uh, uh, confirmed for any further than that, but... I do think that he is very passionate about the Lions and I know behind the scenes he's fighting for everything in terms of making sure that that can happen and it will continue to happen in the future. Alex, I was just fascinated. One of the big growth areas in, in rugby over the last decade has been women's rugby and I think there's a huge opportunity with the Lions to introduce women's rugby, test rugby at Lions level. I mean, I know, Jonesy, we've got issues with with some of the other home nations in terms of the quality and strength of their women's team. But I genuinely believe, I don't know if Ben Calverley mentioned anything about women's Lions rugby, but I think if there is to be a future, I think that that future should include the women's team as well. Yeah, he, he, he has mentioned it. The Lions' stance on it at the moment is that it's a matter of when, not if, it happens. That has been their stance for a year or so. I think there are challenges in terms of the opposition and where they go. There are challenges you know, making a team representative enough of the four nations up here um, because you know England as a fully professional team are, are some way away but they, they don't have to go they don't have to, to mirror the men's team they could go they could play a test series in France yeah that would be sensationally good French crowds for women's rugby are enormous and the passion there is it's fantastic if a British and Irish Lions women's team went to play the test series in in France or in New Zealand it would be would be sensational. There are not many Lions games on this trip. You know, what would be wrong if had they thought of it earlier? We're taking, making them both there at the same time and the, the girls could play in midweek and, or, or on the morning of a test match or after a test match or as a curtain raiser. We've got, we've got to get into this now because yeah. women's rugby is way too important to be a token. Yeah, and I think, I think that's definitely on the cards. And as Alex said, I think it's certainly something they're going to look to in the future, whether they can pull that together in time for this particular Lions tour, which is obviously a year away, remains to be seen. Gentlemen, I'm going to move on. Um, Eddie Jones, the England coach, is now back in the UK. We've missed Eddie dearly, and I'm sure Eddie's missed being 
back in the UK, although he sounds like he's been up to a lot. He hasn't been speaking very much during lockdown, but he has actually weighed in quite understandably and quite rightly, I think, on certain calls. Just to update our listeners, Eddie Jones wants to speed up the sport of rugby union by reducing the number of replacements, maybe even possibly making them injury-only replacements as opposed to what currently exists, which is a wave of tactical or time-wasting, and uh, speeding up the TMO decisions as well. We've, we've got a process which um, we've seen the complications and the controversy around VAR. I don't think we're quite in that realm at the moment. I think we've, we've done a lot to speed it up. But is he right? Could it be speeded up further, Alex? He spent some time in the, in the States at the Houston Texans NFL team and his kind of in-depth analysis of rugby, you know, he mentions NFL a lot now and in comparison with with rugby in the sense that there are so many stoppages, there's time to recover, there are there are set plays. And he's he's used that that comparison a lot. His theory is aligned with with where world rugby are at the moment with some of the trials in the Southern Hemisphere. The 50-22 kick, for example, is designed to create more space on the field. I'm not sure that it has. I think it's a fascinating addition. We're only a few rounds into it in Australia, but the approach to it is the same. His theory is if South Africa as it happens, can't bring on the bomb squad in the second half and have five fresh forwards coming on. Then you're going to have you inject more fatigue into the game. You create therefore more space because it's slow. The, the, the athlete slows down because they're more tired. Therefore, there's more space. I do have some sympathy with what he says. I, I think we we watch in football. They've been increasing the number of substitutes to five. And that's going to stay. I just think that just lends much more weight to the more powerful squads, the richer teams with the, with the, the deeper squads. You know, we see games change so much when the benches come on. And you know, I watched the game at the weekend, and so the and Dane Cole said, "Our bench won it for us." Well, should the bench be winning the game for a team? I'm not sure. That's the well. Way I mean, Eddie Jones has, has has been you know one of the first people to call the you know the, the the game about starters and finishers. Myself and a lot of my colleagues were never finishers. We were definitely starters, uh, and and we were starters and finishers for most yeah. of the time. I get what Eddie Jones is saying, and I, and I kind of support it. Really, he says we've got to get fatigue back because we need space on the pitch otherwise we will end up like the NFL he also mentions we have to find a way to tidy up the TMO you only have to watch rugby league in Australia where it's clear and concise one or two looks the referee knows if a try can be awarded the referee makes the decision I think it's a try can you say yes or no and, and we move on. Do you think going down this route of uh, maybe injury-only substitutes or just trying to get the fatigue back into the game is a good plan? Lawrence, I totally agree with Eddie, maybe for the first time. I agree with every word he said. He, he came up with one great example that's saying he was watching Super Rugby and one of the teams was battering away, battering away, and the, 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 the defensive team were trying to keep the, keep in the game and they kept on giving away penalties. And eventually the referee said to the defending team, Next time you give away a penalty, there's going to be a card. And the captain said, fair enough, I'll turn and turn around and started talking to his team. Well, that's absolutely ridiculous. He, they were just getting their breath back. It happens all the time. Why do we spend 25, 30 seconds waiting for a line-out to fall? In terms of the replacements, they must be reduced. I don't think you can ever get away from having three front-row replacements on safety terms. Eddie wants it to be reduced to five or six. So you have three front row replacements on safety, then you're allowed another two. And that's it. How did we ever get to this where you could, re- you could replace more than half the people on the, on the field? 
absolutely ridiculous. Well, certainly with the with the TMO decisions, I appreciate that in all sports now, with the technology, we want to arrive at the right decision. But we also have to arrive at the right decision on the same day as the game is played. Um, and all I know is that you know, if, I, if I've spent all my hard-earned extra hours becoming the fittest rugby player you can possibly be, whenever there's a TMO break in play, it gives the chance of, uh, of players to get their breath back. And, and really, you, know, you want to make sure that not only the, the most technically gifted and skillful team are able to win the game, but also the fittest team are also able to, hmm. to win a game of rugby. So I, I kind of do, and I think there is ways that we can speed up the TMO process. And I think that could happen relatively quickly, uh, Alex. There was a fascinating interview in the Sydney Morning Herald last week with Matt Tamua, who is a player representative from the International Rugby Players. And he's also giving player feedback on these new law trials in Super Rugby Australia. He get painted a picture of the players, lots of players getting frustrated with all the stoppages. And, and a lot of it is, is, is tactical. He said, you know, when I was at Leicester and, and he's now playing in uh, Melbourne, he said, you know, we have calls. Cuffy, you know, as a scrum's about to be formed, someone shouts Cuffy, prop goes down, has a, you know, kind of rotates his shoulder a bit, some ice comes on. It's, they're just buying time for a breather. Shoelaces was another one. And there was a third one he mentioned. You know, these are tactical, pre-planned calls to build in time off. We used to have the same thing. It was called Kit Kat, you know, to take a break yeah. in the England team. And it would normally involve one of the members of the front row going down because, you know, again, it's very hard for the referee to question, you know, whether it's a, a genuine injury or not. But, yeah. uh, it, I, you know, I don't think players need to have those calls anymore because there's so many breaks in play. They probably don't even need to introduce them. It was just interesting that you know the Matamu as a player rep is is voicing those concerns that players don't seem to want those you know those enforced breaks either. I think they you know they agree that that keeping the the game fluid, fast paced in terms of of action, not necessarily you know, doesn't that's not a style of play, but just keeping everyone engaged and and moving is is critical to the game. And and, and Eddie's idea of reducing replacements, I, I would endorse. I, I think some of the trials. I'm not sure all the trials happening in the Southern Hemisphere will stick, but I think they're, they're coming from the right place. And there, there are other areas too. We did a piece after the Six Nations, I think it was, or maybe before the Six Nations, around goal kicking. Owen Farrell takes longer than his allotted minute every time he takes a penalty, a penalty shot at goal. Now, I, it, on you know, Jonesy's point, why does it take 35 seconds to form a line-out? Why does a goal kicker get a minute with the clock ticking? to line up a penalty at goal. That's wasted time from the game. I don't agree with the people who say stop the clock for scrums because scrummaging is an integral part of the game. But watching a goal kicker line up his strike for the posts while the clock's ticking, taking a minute, 10 seconds, you know, in a game where he's, he's got five, let's say, let's say he has five shots at goal, that's probably six minutes out of the game, just standing there lining well, up. Well, if we're talking, I mean, you know, if we... Yeah, if we're adding TMO decisions, goal kicking, reset scrums, you know, how long does it take to set up a line out? I think we can we can certainly add a few minutes into the game and, and speed the game up and listen, hear, hear to all of that. And the good news, I think, for all of us concerned rugby fans around the world is that Bill Beaumont, the chairman of World Rugby, I yeah. think has, has picked this up in, in his manifesto. The other thing that Bill Beaumont is going to have to pick up is the topic of Fiji. Mr. Stephen Jones, you wrote a very powerful piece, not for the first time, I might add, in this weekend's Sunday Times, outlining the many abuses by senior figures in Fijian rugby. 
Um, just to headline a few, Fijian seven-star Amenobi Nasila Sila was released from prison only a few months into an eight-year jail term for rape and was seen training with the prison service warden's team a mere few days after his sentencing. There are numerous allegations surrounding Francis Keane, which you've highlighted already, the chairman of Fiji Rugby. And World Rugby say that they are investigating, but have yet to take any action. Jonesy, something needs to be done here, really, because, um, you know, these are serious, serious crimes. Well, the crimes is exactly what they are. And the the actual court transcript of the two rapes were absolutely horrendous. Now, that's where it's coming to. It's this fellow Keane, former head of the Navy, brother-in-law of the Prime Minister, head of Fijian Rugby, it's absolutely unbelievable how he would still be there. He's also been in the testimony of John McKee, the former coach, to be interfering in World Rugby's high-performance unit. Now, I was absolutely furious on Saturday because they kept on saying, oh, we've got to investigate, blah, blah, blah. Or they, what, what about coming out with saying we, we want to say something for the protection of women? Just to, just to say that, you don't have to put the finger on anybody. But Fiji at the moment, as a country, is a, is a country of fear, Lawrence. And the rugby out there is also surrounded by fear with no one able to speak out. And World Rugby should ax them until Maine goes and never comes back. I was going to say that, I mean, presumably, I mean, these are serious, serious allegations that have a lot of evidence behind them, as, as you've highlighted in the newspaper. Surely there is a, uh, there is a role that World Rugby can play in, in the short term by um, perhaps putting sanctions in place until they get to the, you know, get to the bottom of, of exactly what's going on. Now, I'm, I'm going to give World Rugby the benefit of the doubt. They say they are investigating. These are the sorts of allegations that need swift investigations and then a swift reaction. So uh, I'm pretty sure that people like yourself, Jonesy, are going to continue to, to, to beat the drum and make sure that they are held to account. Absolutely. I mean, they did say that they expect some news this week. Well, that better be good news and big news, not just we're going to have another look at it, we're going to have another panel. Something has got to be done because people are in fear over there. And the reaction I got from Fijians uh, in Fiji or all over the world about it was really heartwarming. And I'm not getting at Fijian rugby. We all know that they're absolutely magnificent. But at the moment, it is dangerous murderers, people are disappearing, and rapists are coming out, walking the streets, and they could easily run into the person that they raped. It is absolutely appalling. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Again, Sir Alex, I'd just like to turn to some other news. Um, just going back to the kind of Operation Restart, if you like. There's been nine positive corona tests across the Gallagher Premiership in the latest round of Premiership rugby testing. I believe seven players were tested positive and two staff. Now, uh, as sport returns to some kind of normality across our TV screens, we're seeing the process that all sports are following, football probably being the prime example, followed by golf, tennis, one or two other sports. I mean, rugby are treading a, a pretty delicate line here, but they are, they are trying to do their very, very best to make sure that we have rugby back on our TV screens on that target date of the 14th of August. They are. So we've had two rounds of testing. The first before they began contact training and the second one week in. And I think if they keep the levels down under control, then then we'll get the season restarted on, on August the 14th. The big fear in the Premiership Rugby offices is that there's a spike and that one club has a cluster of cases that they don't uncover until the next week's round of testing and that you get a spike in, in numbers and you lose fixtures, which is the ultimate issue here. That if you if you have injuries and corona, or just or even a spike in corona cases, there's no wriggle room, so the league could end up having to having to cancel fixtures. I think we were saying just before we came on air that you know, fo- football have had similar numbers and haven't really become close to having games affected by this. It's a very different sport, obviously, and it will be interesting. So we, we're speaking on Monday before training today. Every player and member of staff at, at all 12 clubs will have been tested again. It's announced on, on Wednesday and you need to see a trend. And if the trend remains flat or, or goes down, then we, we can look forward with confidence. If, if it starts to creep up, and I think Ben Young said the other week that after the first round, there were, I think, 10 cases. And he said then it's incumbent upon the league to deal with this properly because if that balloons to 30 and then 80, then the season will be wiped out. So as it stands, I think they're under control. But um, we'll wait and see what gets announced on, on Wednesday, the, the third round of testing. Jonesy, another thing that was announced in the, the week just gone, if people missed it, was that Boris Johnson, amongst some of the slightly more odd things that he was talking about, mentioned that the possibility of crowds being allowed back into stadiums after several pilots, uh, at least before the end of the season, but not before October. I mean, of all the news I've heard over the last few months, that is heartwarmingly good news. Clearly, there's been a lot of lobbying by organisations like the RFU and, and and various other sports, but it's fantastically good news, isn't it? Well, it is, and um, you know, it's lovely to have sport back. It's lovely to be watching football. That's why you you're in such a good mood today, Lawrence, because your your boys yesterday. But I think the rugby authorities, we're all all the clubs are desperate for cash. So are the RFU, but I think that they've been quite. In fact, very, very careful, very professional. But I would prefer to hear the news that the fans are going to come back from someone other than the Prime Minister, because he's not actually an expert uh, witness or an expert scientific person. So but when, when they do come back, I were absolutely dying for the day where we can all sit there and all the hats and all the fans are there, you know, turning around to give us abuse and all that. It will be wonderful, but I can't get too excited about what Boris says about this, frankly. I think it's, cri- it's critical as well, Lawrence, because the RFU are 
conducting redundancy program at the moment, uh, and they're likely to make 139 roles redundant based on potential lost revenue of £107 million. Now, if they can get fans into England matches, even if the stadium's half full, and if they host some Wales matches because the uh, the regulations uh, across the Seven Bridge will be different, although it won't wipe out the lost revenue, it will make a, a significant dent into it. And if that can reduce losses and therefore save some jobs, community coaches, grassroots staff, it, that's massively important for the game in England. So we have to welcome the news and just keep our fingers crossed that it can, you know, we don't have a second spike and we can get some people back into Premiership games, Championship games, and uh, and, and then England matches at Twickenham because we need to get that economic wheel turning to help save the sport. Well, much closer to the Autumn Internationals is the resumption of the Gallagher Premiership. I make it 25 days until we kick off again. Harlequins against Sale, isn't it? That first game on, on August the 14th. There's been a lot of movement in various clubs. We've had, um, you know, Wasson naming 15 re-signed players or, or virtually the entire squad. We've had the, the week at, at Leicester, which was quite a turbulent week with, with a number of players re-signing and a number of players leaving, most notably, um, you know, Manitou Alangi. I mean, every club's had to do a bit of its business privately and, and unfortunately a bit of its business in public. We've seen the unveiling of the Bristol Bears training ground and their coaching staff and Radradra. I mean, there's so many different things. Manitou Alangi going up to sale. We're not quite sure how the Premiership's going to kick off again because every club has been through, you know, quite a quite an interesting and challenging and turbulent time. But just if I could put you on the spot, what are the what are the two or three things that you're really looking forward to watching again? First of all, I have to pay tribute to the resilience. That you know, they're they're all they've all been in trouble. They sniff the starting line, and suddenly things are happening. Things are happening that they're putting stuff out to galvanise fans. I have to say, the last couple of weeks, I've been open mode to the number of people who've signed. Uh, and so that that is a really good thing, very warming and very resilient. My big thing is Sale Sharks Rugby Club. They've just added another gigantic name up there. Wouldn't it be marvellous for the north of England if they broke into the top four, even the top two, and I think they're good enough to challenge Exeter should they make the final. So that's one good That's one good thing. Gloucester, I'm very worried about indeed. Not quite sure what's happening there. But I also think that club associated with you at the Rico Stadium, I think they've got incredible resilience as well, and I think they're looking good. So from that point of view, you've got to hand it to the league as a league it has got something about it which not even lockdown has dimmed. Alex, you've talked to a lot of the clubs, the directors of rugby, some of the players at various different stages. We've got a couple of interviews coming up with, with, a, with a number of players across a range of different abilities in the Premiership for next week's Ruck podcast. You know, what are, what are you, you know, what are we, 25 days away? What, what are you really, really looking forward to? I think, having argued last week that I didn't think Premiership Rugby should have I don't think they gave enough thought to player welfare and just scrapping a season that's already scarred by scandal and all that kind of stuff that we we spoke about last week. We are where we are. I'm just I'm looking forward to a title race that that none of us expected to be the way that it's going to be. Exeter are top, but they, they you know they're going to fight on two fronts and they have to defend their position from Sale Sharks as, as Steve mentioned who have have tooled up with Sam Hill. Manu Tulangi from from Bristol Bears, who, if under Pat Lamb, that they, they can welcome their new their newcomers into, you know, into a sort of seamless transition. 
then they're going to put up a, one heck of a fight. And I'm really excited. Obviously, Semi Rodrigo has come to the Premiership, you know, Stardust. But I think actually two, two of their potentially most exciting signings are the, are the two loanees from Saracens, who in Ben Earl and Max Malins, who in normal times would have just come back from an England tour of Japan. I think they're two of the brightest young stars in English rugby and two very smart recruits from Pat Lamb who will give them an enormous boost in a title race that is completely different to the title race we, th- we thought we'd have you know, at the turn of the year. So just, just the, the excitement of having rugby back, hopefully some fans through the gates, a really compelling title race for us all to get excited by are the things I'm looking forward to. I, I would, maybe as a, I'm a harbinger of doom, I would just want to say that we've heard in the last few weeks that a number of clubs are having to make their communications officers or their, their media managers redundant, which is de- desperately sad for those people who you know who we work with and we all wish them the very best. I also think it's really concerning for the league that has had CBC's money put into it. CBC are there to to grow the commercial value of of, of the competition that clubs see those roles as being expendable. So I think it's a, I think it's obviously desperately sad for those people involved. But I also think it's worrying for the league that clubs feel that the expertise in those roles is, is, is expendable at a time when you know, they need to be growing the competition. Well, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, marketing and communications is a thing that rugby union, particularly English club rugby, needs to do better than it's ever done before. Because in the uh, whatever, whatever, however many years we are now, 35 years of professional rugby, we're still no further ahead, I don't believe, than, than no. we were maybe 15, 20 years ago. So CVC should be dipping their hand into their extremely deep pockets and actually marketing and communicating their way out of the corona crisis more now than they ever have done before. Gentlemen, 25 days to go until Operation Restart. Harlequins against Sale on August the 14th. It's been another fascinating podcast. Please look out for some special player interviews in next week's podcast. My thanks to Stephen Jones and Alex Lowe. If you've enjoyed today's show, please leave us a review preferably five stars and you could subscribe to the ruck on acast itunes and your usual podcast provider as you're listening to me daisy apple's iphone disassembly robot is dismantling an iphone into lots of recyclable parts That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.